0: Welcome to this Uvila Audio presentation of Mission Moonfire by Jack Lancer. Volume 4 Chapter 10 Bingo Alley Well, you wanted to get rid of him, Chunde, said Geronimo, breaking the heavy silence. This is no time for Indian humor. If that joker walked off under his own power, we're going to be in the soup. Let's check with Vogel. Right. Chris glanced tensely at his watch have to call him at the travel agency. Come on, we'll use the lobby phone again. Vogel came on the line promptly. Oney Kingston here, said Chris. About that friend of ours, he seems to have left on a tour somewhere. I was wondering if the travel arrangements were made by your office. Yes, indeed. I laid out a very interesting itinerary and he left early this morning. In fact, we provided transportation from the hotel. Chris gave a quiet sigh of relief. Good. I'm so glad you are able to arrange his trip. By the way, Vogel added, do you yourself have any sightseeing plans this morning? Nothing lined up so far. In that case, may I suggest the Galata Tower? It offers a splendid view of the whole city. Take a taxi down Istiklal Caddesi. That's the avenue running through the fashionable shopping center. Then at the foot of Beoglu... "'Switch to the tunnel. It's the oldest subway in the world, also the shortest.' "'That'll take us from the Beoglu district down to Galata?' Chris inquired. "'Exactly. Lets you off right near the tower. Sounds like a very good suggestion.' The boys breakfasted hastily and caught a cab to Taksim Maidan, the Times Square of Istanbul. Following Vogel's hint, they hopped out of their taxi at the end of the avenue, and dashed into the tunnel entrance to shake off any possible shadows. In two minutes, the underground cable car deposited them in Galata. Near the subway exit loomed the huge gray column of the Galata Tower. The boys hurried to it and mingled with the stream of sightseers about to ascend the elevator. Vogel was sitting on the top floor. He was gazing out a window, across the golden horn and the old city toward the Sea of Marmara. Quite a breathtaking view! Chris murmured. Vogel nodded. The first tower was built here 1,500 years ago, during the Byzantine Empire. What's the word on Fasil? Chris whispered. Don't worry. He's being taken care of by the Turkish police. Any clue on who's behind him? The terror gang? Vogel shook his head. I don't know, but I'm fairly sure Fasil had no advanced information on you two. Then what was he doing at the airport? Apparently, he and another agent named Rami trailed Mustafa there from the agency. They each had cars. Once they figured where Mustafa was heading, Facile speeded up and got there first. Then he planted himself by the air terminal doorway to see whom Mustafa would meet. And it turned out to be Jerry and me. Right. Rami stayed out in his car waiting to follow Mustafa's Mercedes when it left. Chris frowned. But Mustafa saw nobody trailing us. Rami didn't need to keep your car in sight. Vogel gave a sour smile. He planted a radio beeper under your rear fender. All he had to do was follow the signal with a loop antenna. Oh, great, Chris said dryly. So he followed the Mercedes all the way into Istanbul? I suppose that's how Fasil found out about our hotel. Looks that way. Rami evidently followed Mustafa into the lobby when he took your bags there. Later, he must have phoned Fasil at the airport to tip him off. Vogel added that Mustafa had discovered the radio beeper in his car after leaving the hotel and had managed to trap Rami. As far as we know, neither Fasil nor Rami had reported to their control, so your cover probably is still safe. Geronimo had been peering out the tower window, as if the three were discussing city landmarks. Suddenly, he touched Vogel's arm. Did you come here in the Mercedes? Yes, it's in the alley down there. You could see it from... Vogel broke off with a gasp as he realized what had caught the Indian's eye. The Mercedes was parked in an alleyway about a block from the tower between two stone stone-walled buildings. The car's hood was up, and a man had his head poked underneath. Vogel whipped a small device from his pocket, which both teen agents recognized at once. It was an ultrasonic oscillator designed to detonate suspected bombs from a safe distance. The man put the hood down and walked away as Vogel took aim. There was no one else around.
1: Kaboom!
0: The car seemed to come apart like an exploding toy. Chris had a split seconds glimpse of the fleeing man being struck on the head and knocked down by a flying fragment. Then a pall of smoke shut out the view. The noise of the blast roused a babble of excitement from the other sightseers in the tower. "'I think you got him,' Chris muttered. Vogel nodded. "'I'm going down and frisk him before the police show up. Don't leave with me. By the way, that girl gets out of class at 5.30.' The teen agents remained in the tower watching the scene below. When the smoke cleared, the man was no longer in sight. Evidently, he had only been stunned and had escaped up the alley. Geronimo and Chris saw Vogel, vocal worming through the crowd. He paused as he discovered that the saboteur was gone. Then he turned and swiftly left the scene. Another little reminder from Dr. Death, Geronimo remarked in Apache. Right, we'd better watch our own step. By the time the boys came down from the tower, two police cars had arrived, and uniformed officers were questioning the onlookers. The teenagers crossed the Golden Horn and spent the rest of the morning prowling through the streets of old Istanbul. After lunch at a waterfront restaurant, they caught a ferry boat at the Galata Bridge for an hour-long ride to the Prince's Isles, scattered like colored jewels on the placid blue waters of the Mamara. At Buk Ada, the boys disembarked. The island was a lush little paradise of blue-green pines and cypresses, white villas and elaborate Turkish gardens aflame with roses. Chris and Geronimo rode around in a horse-drawn surrey, sipped sherbet at an open-air café, and finally ferried back to the city. Shortly before 5.30, they sauntered through the huge gateway fronting the campus of Istanbul University. The two teen agents lounged near the Beyazit Tower and watched the scene. People were passing in and out of the entrance to the main building. The co-eds, like most Turkish girls, were highly attractive. There she is, Geronimo said presently, nudging Chris. Trust old Hawkeye to spot a squaw. A girl with long black hair had just emerged from the building. Chris intercepted her as she walked past a sculptured monument to Kemal Ataturk, the founder of modern Turkey. Afetur excuse me, do you speak English? The girl paused and gave him a friendly smile.
1: Yes, of course.
0: Big glowing amber eyes. A real Turkish delight was this one. Is your name possibly Nilufer? Chris asked. Why, yes. The amber eyes widened. How did you know? Well, it's a long story. He gestured to Geronimo. My friend and I just came to Turkey. There was this dinner party, you see, and someone showed us a snapshot of a beautiful girl and said, If you're going to Istanbul University, be sure to look up Nilufer somebody.
1: You mean someone showed you a picture of me?
0: That's right, somebody at a dinner party. Your last name didn't mean much to us, but the face we could never forget. She blushed prettily
1: why thank you i i suppose it must have been someone who was a student here i've had several american friends was it mary jane murphy she was here last year but she's gone back to the united states
0: chris gave a vague shrug well that name sounds familiar but there were so many people around that needle giggled
1: and i suppose you know so many girls it's hard to remember oh oh not always we certainly remembered you.
0: Chris introduced himself and Geronimo.
1: My name is
0: Niloufer Gersel, she responded. Chris snapped his fingers.
1: Gersel, of course, that was it. Did you say that you two are going to enroll at Istanbul University?
0: Niloufer asked. Well, we're thinking about it. We'd like to transfer as exchange students for some courses
1: in Middle Eastern archaeology. How interesting! That's my uncle's field. You mean he's an archaeologist? He was before he retired, she explained. He taught here, Professor Salim Gersell.
0: Chris looked startled. Not THE Professor Gersell. The famous expert on Middle Eastern antiquities? Yes, you have heard of him. Of course we've heard of him. He's one of the people we most wanted to meet over here, isn't he, Jerry? The Apache nodded stonily. His glance implied, Let's not ham it up too much, Chunde. Chris hesitated. Look, I, I know this is short notice, but would you and your uncle care to be our guests at dinner tonight? Nilouffer's cheeks dimpled into a smile.
1: It is very short notice, but since you are Americans and guests in our country, perhaps one might make an exception. However, you must ask my uncle. I am an orphan, you see and I live with him.
0: It was decided that the boys would accompany her home to meet Professor Gersell. Chris hailed a taxi, and they rode back across the Golden Horn to the newer section of the city. The Gersells lived in a modernistic white apartment building overlooking the Bosphorus. Professor Salim Gersell was a white-mustached man with a scholarly stoop and spectacles perched on the end of his nose. He was working at a desk in one corner of the living room amid a stack of books.
2: "'It is most kind of you, young gentlemen, to include me in your invitation,'
0: he said after Nilofer had introduced the boys.
2: "'But I am sure the three of you will find enough to talk about without me. I am an old man and seldom go out any more. For archaeologists, alas, that leaves only books.' He smiled absent-mindedly and gestured to
0: the heap of open volumes. The walls of the apartment were hung with gorgeous Turkish carpets of colorful geometric design. Ancient carvings and pottery from the professor's digs were scattered about the room. Chris picked up a small jar of painted clay in the shape of a lion. Ah, this is Hittite, isn't it?
2: Quite so, quite so, said Professor Cursell. From the royal tombs of Elijah Hoyuk, dating to the middle of the third millennium, B.C.,
0: he began a long, rambling account of his Hittite excavations, moving about the room and pointing out especially interesting finds. Nilufer excused herself to change clothes for the evening. It was more than an hour later when the three young people finally left the apartment. They dined on delicious Turkish food at the Abdullah restaurant on Ishkelal Kadessi, then danced and watched the floor show at a nightclub called the Kervansare. Nilofer told the boys of her part-time job at the antique shop in the Grand Bazaar and insisted on getting home by 11 o'clock. As I said goodnight in the vestibule of the apartment building, a man came down to the elevator and walked out the front door. He was wearing a tan raincoat and carrying a small package. Chris and Geronimo left soon afterwards. Their taxi was parked in front, its driver dozing at the wheel. The boys were about to awaken him when the sounds of a scuffle reached their ears. Near the corner of the dimly lit street, three figures were locked in a struggle. One was the man who had just left the apartment building. He was being attacked by two thugs. Come on! Geronimo exclaimed. The young agents raced to the man's aid. One of the thugs had an arm crooked around their victim's throat, while the other tried to wrest away his package. The man was kicking and thrashing about wildly. A blow to the temple stunned him, and he slumped to the ground just as the boys reached the scene. Seeing the two youths, the thugs whipped out long blades and poised themselves to attack. Chapter Eleven, The Moon Goddess. Chris skidded to a halt as the knives flashed. The thugs' faces twisted into vicious snarls.
2: (inaudible) "Ay, yani yord,"
0: they cried. Chris recognized the words. The moon is on fire. He leapt and swung a hard kick at his assailant's knee. The thug tottered, then jerked around, his knife tracing a deadly arc in the moonlight. Chris had already whirled to meet the new attack. His toe came up at a kick that sent the knife flying. Chris followed with a sweeping, stiff-hand blow that cracked against the man's nose. There was a gush of red, and the thug reeled backwards. He tripped over the stunned robbery victim, who was coming to, and landed heavily on the ground. Geronimo, meanwhile, had done a baseball slide when the other thug lunged at him, and as the blade slashed downward, he rolled clear and left cat-like to his feet. The thug, losing balance when his blow met no resistance, had stumbled to his knees. Geronimo booted him in the pants and set the man sprawling, but he rolled aside almost as fast as the Apache had done and came up still clutching his knife. Chris's opponent had lost heart, with his weapon gone and his face a reddish smear, The thug darted off into the darkness. The remaining attacker sprang to his feet with a snarl of rage and fear. Brandishing his knife menacingly, he backed away from the trio and then, suddenly, turned and fled. Wow, thanks a lot. The man who had just revived got up with a helping hand from Chris. You two sure came along with the right time. You look like Americans, by the way. That's right, from dear old Kingston You. Chris introduced himself and Geronimo. My name is Kane, Jack Kane. They shook hands. Any idea who those goons were? Chris asked. Never saw them before in my life. They just jumped me as I came along the street. Do you want us to notify the police? Kane shook his head. I'm in the service, Air Force Major. It doesn't do to get mixed up with the wrong kind of publicity when you're stationed in a foreign country. As he spoke, Cain brushed off his raincoat and bent down for his package. His eyes lit on the thug's knife. The long, deadly-looking blade had a double-curved edge and bore an inscription. Cain whistled. Were both of these hoods armed with a shiv like this? It's called a yatagan, I believe," said Chris. He studied it and read the inscription. Allah be tur It looks old, but it's razor sharp. It took real nerves for you fellow to tackle those guys. Kane slipped the knife into his raincoat pocket, then hastily snatched up his package before Geronimo could lay hands on it. I just want to make sure it's not damaged, he murmured. The object was wrapped in thick felt cloth. Kane unwound the material, revealing what looked like a small idol. In the dim light, Chris could make out the glazed terracotta figure of a woman with a horned crescent moon on her head. Kane took a brief look to make sure the figure was still in one piece and then rewrapped it. Moon goddess, isn't she? Selene? Artemis? Chris asked. Kane shot him a quick, frowning glance. I wouldn't know, he said with a careless shrug. Just something I picked up at an old archaeological site. I figured on taking it home as a souvenir. You ought to have an expert look at it. It might be valuable, Chris suggested blandly. His face showed only polite interest. That's a good idea. Maybe I will. The boys offered Major Kane a lift in their taxi, but he declined, saying his own car was parked around the corner. After thanking them heartily again, he walked off with his package. Chris was thoughtful on the way back to their hotel. Geronimo broke the silence. You suppose that Kane has been up to see Professor Grizel? He inquired. Or is the archaeological bit just too much of a coincidence? It's too big a coincidence for my money. You know what those thugs yelled as they came after us? The moon is on fire. Geronimo gave a low whistle, and they were after the figure of a moon goddess. The next morning, Chris called Vogel and asked him to run a check on Major Kane. Before lunch the boys taxied to the Kapalikarsi (the Grand Bazaar) in the old section of Istanbul. The huge marketplace was like a city in itself, and gathered under one vast roof, its narrow, cobbled streets lined with four thousand shops and stalls. They were covered with high vaulted skylights and domes. The place was crammed with merchandise-rugs, furs, silks, hammered copperware. Glass, china, jewelry, and trinkets of every description lined the walls and display counters. Most of the shops were mere cubby holes in which the owners could sit and reach out to touch any item. Some merchants hawked wares from their doorway. Terhan Hamid shop was one of the larger stores with ample room for shoppers to browse. Muslim weapons and helmets from the days of the Turkish Sultans dangled from the walls, along with glowing oriental carpets. Open cases displayed antique jewelry, carvings, and coins. Hamid himself greeted the boys. He was a skinny man with a bald, blue-veined head, a huge nose, and the beady eyes of a ferret.
2: "'Good morning, Belar,'
0: he used. "'Welcome to my humble shop. You are Americans, no?' If you are looking for a fine Turkish rug or an antique dagger, I can offer you the most fantastic bargains in the whole bazaar. His limp, long-fingered hands seemed to be wiping themselves on an invisible towel. Actually, we came to see your assistant, said Chris, but I know she's busy. If you don't mind, we'll just look around.
2: Of course, look as much as you like.
0: In one corner of the shop, Nilofer was showing a huge amethyst ring to a stout lady tourist. She gave the two boys a friendly smile. Chris picked up a carved stone seal, which looked as if it might have come from some ancient Greek or Roman ruins along the Turkish coast. You have quite a few old things like this, don't you? Archaeological items, I mean? A bit! Certainly! Hamid waved his hand about the shop. Coins? Carvings? Ancient pottery? What would you like? Well, "'I saw something the other day that caught my eye. "'A small moon-goddess figure. "'You know, a, a woman with a horned crescent moon crowning her head. "'Would you have anything like that?' Hamid's eyes took out a veiled reptilian look. "'A moon-goddess! "'Oh, I know of nothing like that. "'Where did you see this figure?' "'Chris shrugged and moved on to inspect a tray of old Roman and Byzantine coins.' Oh, somebody we met had one. I, I forget his name. The woman customer soon left the shop, and Nilofer came over to greet the boys. Chris and Geronimo invited her to lunch. After a hasty discussion with her boss, she accepted. How'd you like to play hooky from your classes today? Chris asked outside the bazaar.
1: Hooky? What is that, a game of some kind? Like hockey, perhaps?
0: Geronimo's stony face twitched into a smile. No, like skipping, Chris explained. Skipping classes, or school to be precise. We were hoping you might take the day off and show us around Istanbul. Niloufer hesitated gravely
1: and then burst into a gay laugh. That is a wonderful idea. We take education seriously in Turkey, but just this once can do no harm. After all, the sun is shining, the sea is blue, and it is not every day I have two handsome Americans to escort me around.
0: Geronimo nodded approvingly and fingered his black hair. This squall will go far, he murmured in Apache. After landing at Pandeli's, the famous tile-walled restaurant, over the old spice market, they strolled and taxied up and down the hills of Istanbul and along the Marmara seacoast. Water sellers and fruit vendors cried their wares amid the street smells. Nilofer showed the boys the aqueduct of Valen's pointed out famous mosques, and took them into the Serkheci railway station near Seraglio Point as the glamorous Orient Express came steaming in from Paris and the Balkans. As they were inspecting the jeweled treasures of the Tokapi Palace, Chris remarked, There's someone else we'd like to meet in Istanbul. Who is that? Niloufer asked. A famous German scholar. I wonder if your uncle might know him.
1: Perhaps. What is his name?
0: Chris frowned thoughtfully. Oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. He's, he's quite an old man. Big bulging forehead, little pointed chin. Oh, has a face like a mummy or, or a skull.
1: Oh, yes, he came to our apartment once. I remember he spoke with a German accent.
0: Chris shot a glance at Geronimo. She went on.
1: Uncle Selim did not introduce me, but you could ask about the man when you take me home later.
0: Late in the afternoon, they ended their sightseeing with a visit to the beautiful blue mosque. Coming out, they strolled through Sultan Ahmet Square with its tall obelisk and columns. A man waved and strode toward them. He had crew-cut hair and a flashy plaid sports coat. Chris recognized him as Major Jack Kane. "'Why, hello! I didn't expect to see you fellows again so soon. Much pleasanter than last night, huh?' Kane added with an admiring grin at Nilofer. Chris introduced him to the Turkish girl. He thought Kane's eyes flickered on hearing her name, but the officer made no mention of knowing Professor Kersell. Nilofer looked shocked when Kane told her about the episode with the two thugs. But that is terrible, she said. You should have called the police at once. Kane shrugged. No harm done, thanks to Chris and Jerry here. Say! How about you letting me return the favor a bit by taking you all to dinner? The three young people agreed. Nilofer telephoned her uncle, and they stopped briefly at Kane's hotel, where he treated them to refreshing fruit drinks. Dusk was gathering when a taxi finally dropped them at the gateway of an old walled courtyard, which had been converted into an open-air restaurant. An Air Force buddy told me about this place, Kane said. They put on quite the floor show. Lights were strung about the courtyard. Dancers and Turkish musicians performed while the four ate dinner. Later, as they were sipping cups of thick sweet coffee, a group of men, oddly clad, filed into view. They wore high cone-shaped hats and flowing white robes. Well, take a look at these guys, Kane whispered. They're whirling
1: dervishes. Nilofer looked surprised and then scornful. These are only fakes who perform for tourists. Real dervishes are religious monks. One no longer sees them openly in Turkey. Maybe so, but look at these cats. They can sure swing. Arms outstretched,
0: the men began turning slowly to the music. As the tempo increased, they whirled faster and faster, gyrating wildly and rolling their eyes. They seemed to be passing into a state of half-crazed ecstasy, Suddenly the lights went out. Chris heard something whiz past his head, with a boing. It struck the wooden screen behind their table. Chris jumped from his chair and groped into the moonlit darkness, and his hand closed on the hilt of a long dagger. Chapter 12. Ancient Ghosts
1: What is it? What happened?
0: Nilofer asked anxiously. Nothing to worry about, Chris told her. He wrenched the dagger loose and sat down. An excited babble of voices came from the tables around them, but the music was still blaring. Suddenly, the lights blazed on again. The restaurant customers grinned in relief and began cracking jokes. Gradually, they gave their attention to the dancers. The dervishes were still whirling and gyrating as if nothing had happened. Meanwhile, the waiters moved hastily among the tables, explaining that someone had accidentally pressed the off switch on the lights. Chris had been sitting with a dagger across his lap. As their own waiter turned away, he laid it on the table. Nielofer's amber eyes widened.
1: ba bam ve,"
0: she gasped.
1: "Is that what I heard?"
0: "I think somebody threw this. It stuck in that screen behind us, right between me and Major Kane." Jumping Jupiter! The major's tan face had a sickly grin. Could I see that a second? Chris handed him the knife.
1: But who would have thrown it?
0: Nullifer exclaimed, gazing around the courtyard. I don't know. Might have been one of the dancers or a guest. I guess even a waiter. As he spoke, Chris glanced at his partner. The Apache gave a faint shrug, face impassive. Kane was thoughtfully fingering the long, double-curved blade. Another Yatagan, Chris remarked, just like the one you picked up last night. Kane's eyes shot up, boring into Chris. Then he lowered his gaze to the dagger again and nodded. Same kind of marking, too. Let's see. Chris took back the weapon and examined it. The blade was engraved with Arabic script, partly worn away but still visible in the steel. Allah, bi God is great. Prince translated.
1: Why, that must be an old Janissary knife,
0: Nilofer exclaimed. Major Kane looked at her blankly. What does that mean? She paused while the music swelled to a wild climax, ending in a clanging crash of cymbals. As the metallic din died away, the dervishes stood limp, shuddering with their eyes closed. Nilofer stared at them, impressed in spite of herself slowly they came back to life and then filed out of the courtyard the turkish girl tore her gaze away from
1: the departing dancers and turned back to major kane the janissaries were old-time turkish soldiers they were elite troops the flower of the sultan's army you say were don't they exist anymore she shook her head in time they became too powerful and troublesome they actually ruled the Ottoman Empire behind the throne. Finally, Sultan Mahmud II crushed them and disbanded the corps after a bloody uprising about a 150 years ago.
0: The Janissaries were Christians at first, weren't they? Chris inquired.
1: Yes, at least the recruits were boys taken from conquered Christian countries. But they were raised as fanatical Muslims, you see. They were really warrior monks like your knights-templars in the Middle Ages.
0: Nilofer paused suddenly, her lips parted in a look of puzzled surprise.
1: That is odd. What's odd? Kane asked. I just remembered. The Janissaries were members of a special order of dervishes.
0: The three Americans glanced at one another. Then those whirling cats we saw just may have been the real thing. Major Kane remarked grimly. Later, after bidding the Major good night, the young agents took Nilofer home. She invited them up to the apartment for a chat with her uncle. Professor Gerzel was studying a broken piece of clay pottery under a powerful magnifying glass amid his usual heap of books. While Nilofer went to the kitchen to make coffee, Chris told him about the knife incident. Professor Kurzel's bushy white eyebrows gathered in a thoughtful frown.
2: Most interesting, I should say this Yataghan was undoubtedly a janissary weapon. And the janissaries were connected with the whirling dervishes? In a way, their own dervish order was formed by a mystic named Ali Bektash. But of course, all dervishes are bound together in religious brotherhood.
0: Professor Grizel took down a history book and showed the boys several pictures of Janissaries. They wore strange-looking headdresses and marched with fluttering horsetail standards topped by golden crescents.
2: "'It is odd that a Janissary weapon should turn up just now,'
0: the professor mused. "'Why so, sir?' Chris asked.
2: "'There have been strange stories about Janissaries recently.' Nothing sinister, mere superstition, peasant gossip, no doubt, but it is said that a troop of ghostly janissaries has been seen at night led by a man on an iron grey horse waving a flashing scimitar.
0: Ghostly janissaries? Chris felt a stir of excitement. Whereabouts?
2: Central Anatolia, the real heartland of Turkey.
0: Professor Grizel shrugged and stroked his mustache with a faintly embarrassed smile
2: mere folk tales as i say but then a good archaeologist must never ignore folk tales often they hold important clues to the past our folk heroes you see are always said to ride an iron gray horse called demir kerat in the middle ages his rider was koroglu the turkish robin hood more recently, the late Premier Menderes is supposed to ride the waves of the Bosphorus and Demir Karat, and now this latest ghostly leader in Anatolia.
0: Nilofer returned from the kitchen with a tray and served cups of coffee. By the way, Chris went on, I was asking your niece about a certain German scholar, someone we'd really like to meet.
2: A German scholar?
0: Professor Grizel frowned. Yeah, we thought you might know him. He's an elderly man with a rather unusual face, sort of skull-like, with a big forehead and a tiny chin. The professor's own face, seamed and weather-beaten from years of archaeological digging, had suddenly gone pale. Oh, his name just came back to me, Chris added. I think it's Dr... Dr. Tote. Professor Grizel gave a violent start, knocking over his coffee cup. His mouth dropped open, but no words came out. He clutched his chest and seemed to stiffen in his chair.
1: Uncle Salim!
0: Niloufer cried anxiously. She dashed out of the room and came back in seconds holding a pill bottle and a glass of water. What is it? What's wrong with him? Chris asked. Both the boys were on their feet.
1: He's heart. He sometimes has these attacks when he becomes too excited.
0: She shook out two pills and gave them to her uncle and supported him with one arm while he swallowed them. Professor Curzel's hand trembled so much that Nilofer had to steady the glass of water.
1: "'Stay
2: away from Tot!'
0: he croaked at the boys.
2: "'Whoever you really are, whatever you want with him, "'I warn you,
1: look no further!'
0: With a gasp, the professor's voice failed.
1: "'Please help me get him to bed.' ''Quickly!''
0: Nilofer begged the boys. Chris and Geronimo carried the old man into his room and laid him down gently. Nilofer telephoned for a doctor. The medic, who lived only a block or two away, arrived in minutes. ''Is there anything we could do?'' Chris asked Nilofer. ''Thank you. No,''
1: she said coldly. ''Judging from the effect your question had on my uncle, you have done quite enough already.''
0: The agents returned to their hotel in glum silence. Ghostly Janissaries, Geronimo muttered in disgust. I can just hear what Q is going to say about that. Well, there's nothing ghostly about that knife, Chris remarked as he peeled off his clothes for bed. The question is, was it meant for Cain or me? Sometime later, Chris awoke in the darkness. He lay still, wondering what had roused him. The sound of a door opening? But he could see the line of light under the door to the outside corridor. No, that was still closed. What about the French doors leading out to the balcony? Chris turned over in bed to glance at it. Then his heart jogged and an eerie chill ran down his backbone. A glowing figure stood outlined in the moonlight just inside the room. It was clad in the headdress and booted uniform of a Janissary.